This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I am joined today by my co-host, Dylan Ray, and we also have joining us is John Fossil. And John, for those that don't know, he is the founder of the Jack Creek Preserve. This guy has hunted just about everything you can imagine all over the world with a bow and arrow. And we are pleased to have him as a proud Pope and Young supporter. And John, thanks for joining us today on the air. Well, I'm real happy to be part of what you guys do. I have a real special spot in my heart for the Pope and Young Club and uh, any way that I can help get more members and get people more enthused and I'd be more than happy to do. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you've always been a good supporter and, uh, and you know, we wouldn't be here without, without supporters like you. So we, we really appreciate it. And and once again, thanks for joining us today. It's uh, looking forward to a nice conversation with you. I'd, I'd like to start off, John, um, tell us about the Jack Creek preserve. I mean, I've, I've heard of it for a number of years, but tell us about your vision and and how this came about. Well, we started it a little over 15 years ago now, and I was lucky enough to be successful in business. So I had bought a big ranch with my brother in, in Montana, and we decided, you know, uh, there's two things that are really important to us. One is conservation, and the second is education of kids about conservation and all that relates to it, hunting and wildlife uh, protection and all the rest. So we started the 
Jack Creek Reserve with about 5,000 acres. And that doesn't sound huge maybe to some people, but it is a direct connection between two portions of the Lee Metcalf wilderness that have a total of over three, uh, over 250,000 acres. And there's no way, well, there is a way if you really work at it, but pretty much no way to get to that property except through the Jack Creek Reserve. So we've almost got, you know, 300,000 acres of spectacular elk and deer habitat and great bears and about everything else that walks except antelope. It's the only thing in the United States that we don't have on the preserve is antelope. Okay. Well, I've seen some pictures and, and I must say you guys get some tremendous bulls and some big bucks on that place. It's, it's truly a, a special spot. Well, getting, getting big, big bull elk is not, I don't mean it's easy. It's not easy. You got to work hard for it, but uh, you know, we average uh, somewhere in the last 10 years, three thirty something and Pope and young points. And we've killed, each year of the last two years, elk has scored over 370, and there's two walking around. Damn, I can't get close enough to them during archery season, but two walking around. One's right around 400, and one's quite a bit over 400. So there are some real big bulls. That doesn't mean you bump into them every day, but they're there. They're there. You know, and that's the thing. When you start talking about those monster bulls, there's not a lot of huge, truly monster bulls out there. And so just to be in an area where you have a chance of bumping into one, that's that's a special place. And it's not like you've got, you know, somebody right over the next hill that's going to going to bump your animals and move them out for you. This is this is a a very special unique opportunity and and you've got almost how 300,000 acres roughly almost to yourself. That's pretty good pretty good well, place. Well, I'll tell you, I've hunted, I've hunted that land uh since 1994, never once, not one day, and I hunt hard, not one day did I see one other hunter uh, while I was hunting, not once. Yeah, that's that's pretty rare anymore. It's um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about some of your recent exploits. Where, where, I know COVID has, has changed. How's, how's COVID affected your world? <laughs> COVID well, didn't slow down John at all, man. Well, it, it didn't. My wife has really gotten, I mean, I've, I've hunted since I was about 12 years old with a bow and been real successful on a lot of things. I've killed African lion and I've killed Cape buffalo and leopard. Uh, hunting things that can kill me is my passion. That and elk are my two hunting passions. But anyway, she got into it big time about 10 years ago. And uh, so we've traveled all, all over the world and on top of what I've done with her trying to win the Safari Club Diana Award for the best woman hunter each year. She's now killed 65 species in the last 10 years over five continents. And this year we had a lot of stuff scheduled and a lot of it we had to postpone, but we didn't postpone all of it. We went to Zambia and spent a month in Zambia. She she killed a monster lion, a huge crocodile, and then something called a Gressbuck and a Cookson's wildebeest. And then we went to Turkey, and she killed a monster, Bezor Ibex. And I spent uh, 10 days in Montana hunting elk, and I'm fussy. I have a self-imposed rule. I won't shoot it unless it's bigger than the last one I shot. And the last one I shot scored 368, and I just didn't get close enough. I saw two, but just didn't get close enough to either one of them to even draw the bow. So, you know, in spite of COVID, we had a pretty good time. That's, you know, that's, that's your COVID story. That's a lifetime for most people. That's great. Well, you know, we were, we were the first Americans 
uh, to go into Zambia once they lifted the ban. It used to be you could get in there, but you had to self-quarantine like in a motel for two weeks. Well, I'm only going to do that. But the hunting industry got that changed so you could self-quarantine in a hunting camp. You know, okay. in the bush. And they, they don't even know what COVID is out there. We were totally safe. Yeah. Well, that's great. You know, that's definitely capitalizing. I know one of our uh, outfitter partners has been been hunting. You know, he didn't have any clients. He's up in Canada, and most of his clients were from the States. And so most of his clients couldn't couldn't get to his camp. So I think he went out and shot like six or six or eight different species this fall that were on his list. So it's, it's oh, nice to see. Yeah. It's nice to see when people don't let it slow them down. So that's great. And what was your favorite hunt or favorite moment from, from hunting recently? Oh boy. There's so many of them. You know, I'm one of these guys and, you know, I apologize to Pope and Young for not putting a lot of my stuff in the record book. Cause I just, uh, to me, it's the hunt itself. It isn't what the, what it scored or anything like that. But I'd have to say there's probably two two favorites. One was an African lion that I shot 11 yards. That was a little spooky, uh, but I made a good shot, took his heart out, and so it worked okay. And the other one was an elk, the last elk I shot, actually, on the Jack Creek Preserve. And he wasn't the biggest one, but he was 340-something. And the stalk was the neat thing. He was right out in the open uh, with about three or four satellite bulls and about 30 cows and right. a clear cut and I couldn't get close to him. There's no way. So I figured right, he was 75, 80 yards away and I won't shoot beyond 40. Anyway, I decided, well, I'm going to pretend I'm a hiker and I'm not going to look at him. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to do anything that a hiker wouldn't do. And I decided to hike right through all these elk. Well, he kind of went off to the left with about 10 cows and the other cows stayed there. And I walked within 30 yards of those cows. He got behind a little and they were jittery, but they didn't run. If they had run, he would have gone with them. Right. Uh, but he went went behind a little bit of a knoll. I walked up on the knoll still not sneaking anything, just walking. I've done this yeah. with whitetails before. But anyway, just walking. I got to the top of the knoll. There he was about 30 yards away. And I stuck him and killed him. <laughs> so so basically next time out you're just wearing blue flannel well i think that would have worked you know we can talk about uh, camo all all day long we can talk about scent cover-ups all day long you know sometimes you just get lucky yeah well and i think you know you mentioned you know you talked about well i'm just going to be a hiker and and that doesn't pose a threat to him as much as a hunter and you i think you can tell i think those animals can sense it i have a friend of mine and his wife bow hunts and she gets opportunities i mean i don't know how many times she's missed her first shot and then the animal will just stay right there while she you know puts in there another arrow in and gets another shot at and you know for the rest of us i i think they can tell and they just with her i think they oh yeah she's she's not a she's not a threat you know, I, I think they can tell when when there's a predator in the area. Well, I think you're you're dead right about that. Uh, and they're used to seeing hikers and bird watchers and whatever all summer long uh, up in the wilderness where we are. Uh, so they're used to it and they don't spook from it. But there's another thing, and it's one of the big advantages of being a bow hunter, I think, is you let that arrow go, it doesn't make any noise. Uh, you know, hardly any compared to a bullet. A bullet makes a huge bang, and I think they get spooked more from that. 
And then I've learned even hunting dangerous game like Cape Buffalo, the arrow, when it hits them, they don't know what it is. They walk through brush all the time with thorns on it and all that, and this thing comes in and nails them. They, they don't panic the same way they do when a bullet uh, hits them. I've shot one lion, two leopards, and four Cape Buffalo with a bow, and not one of them went more than 100 yards. Wow. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd I don't know if I'd want to be eleven yards from the lion and only have a bow in my hand. <laughs> well, I had a guy behind me with a big gun, so maybe that was helpful. But I, yeah, you know, you get you get to know an animal. You can look at his posture and how it's looking at you and stuff, and you know, pretty certain anyway that it's going to come or it isn't. And yeah. I, I I didn't really have any cover, so you know, I was taking a chance. But I tell all my friends that tell me that I'm crazy to hunt dangerous game with a bow and arrow. I tell them you're taking your life in your hands to a greater degree when you drive down an interstate highway. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. It's um, I, I think getting in your car is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Although, although most people might disagree when you talk about 11, 11 yards from a lion. Oh, hell so. I shot a Cape Buffalo. I shot one of them. The first one at 10 yards. 10 yards and you know what they can cover 10 yards in no time and they can yeah, come well, through some big brush too oh no question the professional hunter was with me he said john he said i never laughed so hard in my life because when that arrow hit that buffalo the buffalo ran to the left and you ran to the right and the buffalo didn't even think about it i, I knew where the nearest tree was i can tell you that there you go <laughs> that's nice so uh so lions, Cape Buffalo, and so which of the dangerous game is your favorite? Uh, I'd have to say probably Buffalo, only because they're so mean and they they do come to kill you. I have several friends that have been badly wounded or actually in one case killed by a Cape Buffalo. You better put that out in exactly the right spot. They got big bones and uh, lion. You know, they're mean and nasty, and they'll come to kill you too, but at least uh, they don't have bones as heavy as a buffalo does. you got to – and I don't shoot a real heavy bow. I'm a skinny guy. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I can get up to 70 or 75 pounds, but not beyond that. But you get that buffalo broadside when his foreleg is just forward. There's a big spot there. It looks almost the size of a pie plate that's white where his leg has been rubbing. You wait for his leg to go forward and put that arrow right there, you get total penetration. Wow. Okay. That's, but that's um, why you got to get close. You don't want to take that shot at 50 yards because he's walking and you know, you need to get it when that leg is moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Now have you done, uh, have you done the, the uh, dangerous stuff on this gun? Have you gone after the Brown bears? I have twice and both unsuccessfully. One of them was my screw-up, and the other one, we just never got close enough to one big enough. I didn't want a seven-foot barrel. I wanted at least eight and preferably nine. And I had one, 20 yards, broadside, walking up a creek. I was, uh, He was in the open for a while where I was hiding, and I drew that bow back, and I hit him just about perfectly. And I said, just about. I hit him right on that big leg bone, his front leg bone hit the bone itself if i'd been an inch or two right or left they would have died but uh, i only got maybe four or five inches of penetration and that was it i'm yeah. going again though uh, I've, got, I've got a couple bucket list things and that's one of them that's good what, what are some of the other ones on your bucket list 
a, a great big Alaska Yukon moose, and I mean great big. It's got to be well okay. over 60, 60 inches and have real big brows and real nice points. I've killed two, but they weren't the ones that I wanted. So that, those are the two things, I guess. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty good list. And I, I'd say you're, you know, what I've done the last couple of year list would, would probably be bigger than most people's bucket list because I know you get all literally all over the world. So, yeah, I do. I've I've hunted I've hunted New Zealand quite a lot, quite successfully. I had the world record red stag in New Zealand, but I got topped. Uh, I still have the red uh, world record Sitka deer. Uh, not the Alaska one, but the New Zealand type one. I've got the world record of that, and that's a little misleading because he's non-typical, and they almost never come non-typical. But okay. I've got the world record of that. And so I've hunted a lot in New Zealand. I love New Zealand. I've hunted quite a bit in South America, and I love hunting down there. But I have to tell you, Africa is by far and away my favorite. I've been now 26 times hunting in Africa. 26 Africa trips. Yep, that, and I got another one scheduled. I got another one scheduled for this year. That is outstanding. And so, what's your favorite country to hunt in Africa? Zambia, and a close okay. second would close second would be Botswana. Now that they reopened hunting again, uh, but for the guy who's going for the first time, you know, bow hunting in South in Africa, I'd say go to South Africa. You know, okay. it's a little more civilized. Uh, the lodges are a little nicer. Uh, there's the game is fenced, but it's big, huge. I mean, 10, 20, a hundred thousand acres fenced. The animals are just as wild and you'll have a much better chance of being successful in a place like that for the first time. After yeah. that, I'd say get out of there and go to Zambia or Botswana. Yeah. You know, I've only been there once and, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to going back, but the first trip I went on, I went to Botswana, and it just I kind of lucked into a, a a deal where a buddy of mine he likes hunting big kudu, and he had done some research for his last trip, and then didn't wind up going to Botswana. He went somewhere else, but he kind of kept some of these notes in the back of his head. And when he was getting ready to schedule another trip, Terry called these guys and, and it wasn't even a commercial hunting outfit. It was just kind of a family ranch. And we were the first Americans to ever be there. And man, I, I, you know, I know there's, there's a lot of different experiences there, but I can't imagine how this would be, could have been any better. It was just phenomenal. Well, hunting, hunting kudu is really a neat thing. You hunt them kind of like you hunt elk. I mean, they don't bugle. But you're, it's all, well, the way I do it anyway, it's all spot and stalk. And I, I killed a monster kudu, but he didn't, the, the magic number for kudu is 60-inch uh, horns like a 400-inch elk. And mine's yeah. 58, and, 58 and three quarters. So I got close, but not all the way there. Yeah, yeah. It's We had some really good luck. I, I got a couple kudu bowls, and I got a uh, one that was 56 and six-eighths. Wow. And one that was 54 and something. And my buddy Terry bested me. He got a 57 and, and change. And then he saw a 60 inch kudu. That's, that's his, you know, like you say, that's the Holy grail for a kudu. And he saw oh, one and, yeah. and it was a group of three bulls and he got into them and they got in some brush and he thought he had the right one. And, and he shot the small one. And I think it was 54 and change. Uh -huh. So it's, that, um, that's, that's still a good kudu. 
Yes. Yeah. But it's, and, and so, you know, the nice thing is he still needs a 60 inch or so maybe I'll get to go back with him. We, we had a good time both being there at the same time. You got kind of got cool. to, to live it and, and, you know, talk about the hunt and each, each evening. And, and it was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed that. Well, and you know, a lot of people think, well, if I go to Africa, God is terribly expensive. You can go to Africa and kill five or six species with your bow for less than an Alaska moose hunt. Yes. Yeah. Now, if you start if you start to get into dangerous game, that's a little different. Or a sable, for example, they're more expensive. But there's a lot of neat, fun game to hunt. That uh, you know, they charge you a trophy fee, which is good. So if you fail, you don't pay. You go to Alaska yeah. to hunt moose, and you fail, you still pay. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting when when you're over there. It's kind of like oh. Well, there's a such and such. You want one of those? My my pH from day one, he kept talking me into, he's like, oh, you, you need a zebra. And I'm like, man, I don't want to shoot a zebra. And he's like, oh, you've got to have a zebra. You're in Africa. And uh, <laughs> and that was his thing. And the other thing they wanted me to, to take was a giraffe. And I just, for me, I didn't want to do it. But uh, um, it's hey, interesting because you're, you're, it's like McDonald's. It's like, oh, what, what do you want? Oh, you want to. Wildebeest, okay, that's that's you know X number of dollars. You want this? It's X number of dollars. It's it's a different world than what we're used to in the states. Well, and you hunt them differently. There's two really ways to hunt them. One is you get a blind and spiral water hole or whatever, and you sit in the blind all day, and animals keep coming in, and that's okay. I find that not as challenging and a little boring uh, than the spot and stalk method which is what I really like to do. And there's a lot more thrill in getting up close to one in bow range of one that you snuck up on. He doesn't know you're there because these animals, you know, they're 124 seven by lions and leopards and predators. They are not calm and easy to sneak up on. Well, the thing about, Oh, you know, Africa is everything there. You know, those animals, they had told me before I went, they said, these animals are just tough. And, you know, in the States, I consider an elk a pretty tough creature, but you start looking at it and, and over there, everything in Africa is designed to kill. You know, you've got lions, you've got hyenas. There's there, these, it's a little bit different uh, atmosphere over there. If you get anybody that hasn't been to Africa and they want to kind of pick somebody's brain that's been there a bunch, I'd be more than happy to communicate either by email or by phone because there's things you need to know that you won't know. Like, for example, you don't shoot at an African animal the same place you shoot at a North American animal. North American animal, you put it behind the shoulder. Well, the whole bone structure of an African animal is you just, the vital spot is straight up the front leg and not behind it. There's a lot of stuff to learn, and you learn it over time. But if you get anybody listening, any member, you know, I'd be happy to help them if they want to go. Yeah, I know. Right before it got canceled, I think you were going to do a Hunting Africa seminar for us in, in Virginia last year. I was. It was going to be hunting dangerous game uh, in Africa yeah. with a bow. And, uh, but uh, it got canceled, and I can't do it this year because guess what? I'm going to be in Africa. You know, and, and when we talked before, I was like, you know, the only reason that I could see being legitimate for missing the Pope and Young Convention would be hunting a hunting trip. So we're, we're going to give you a pass on that one. Well, I really wanted to do it because it's a lot of fun to hunt critters that can kill you. 
Absolutely. Well, we've, we've got a lot of conventions coming up. We'll make sure we get you back on the agenda. What was the, what was the first thing you ever shot in Africa? First animal you took in Africa? Uh, let me think about that. I think it was an, no, let me think. Where was I? I was in Zimbabwe. Oh, I know what it was. It was a sable. And okay. that's not usually, usually the first thing people shoot is, you know, wildebeest or an impala or blessed buck or something relatively easy. Sable are real tough to hunt, but I got lucky. I did a great stalk on my belly for a couple hundred yards and killed a, you know, he wasn't a monster sable, but a pretty nice one. That was the first one I ever killed. Wow. Excellent. That's, that's, you know, it's hard when you start off something you know, on the, on the trophy scale, a little higher up than like you say, a wildebeest or an Impala. That's mine. Mine was a wildebeest. So no, but you know, like everything in Africa, they used to be a whole lot more reasonable than they are now. Yeah. Yes. We had, I was the number two bidder, I think on at least two, if not all three of the sable hunts we had on our, our auction in April. That's that's one of the things that that uh, you know it wasn't on my list for a long time, but then I we had some hunts come in. And I was you start looking at them and you're like, you know what, that's that's a good deal. I I I think that's it moved way up my list really quick. That's for sure. Well, they're they're real fun to hunt because you really can stalk them, and they're you know they're very wary they're sort of like an elk they always got a whole bunch of females around and separating him from the females is not the easiest thing but you know there's a whole lot of things that are a whole lot of fun to hunt too so yeah and so so john i I know you've had a couple of world records um what would you say of all the stuff that you've taken what is the number one trophy or, or something that you're the most proud of it would probably be the African lion, and not that he's anywhere as close to old record. The one left year shot was at 27 and 4 eighths and minus 24 and 3 eighths. So, I mean, he, he makes a record book, but he's but the hunt itself was cool because that's that stupid lion charged me five, you know, four different times. And I say charge, you get you get to learn an animal's behavior. He had a we had a hippo bait chained to a tree, and every time I get within about 50 yards, he'd charge. But he was only defending his his kill, as he thought of it. So he'd get to 15 or 20 yards, and he'd stop. But boy, I'll tell you, the first time he did it, <laughs> the hair stood right up in the back of my uh, neck, and I dropped the bow, and I picked up a 375, and then he quit and went back. So that whole hunt from the beginning <laughs> was pretty dumb, pretty interesting. <laughs> so how close exactly you know if he stopped at 15 to 20 yards exactly what was your line that you're like you know if he gets this close i'm going to send a send a bullet down range well you know it's hard to say ahead of time and even hard to say afterwards all i know is that i had the 375 in my hand and if he had taken another step i would have shot him and the professional hunter had a big rifle too but you know we yeah. got him figured out yeah, when I when I shot him, he came in like he owned the place, which he did. And yeah. uh, he went around behind a tree and he looked out. He knew I was there. I mean, I had some decent cover, but he knew I was there. And he just ignored me and went to feeding on the bait. And there was some 
some thick brush, but he got into an opening and I could put an arrow right square through his heart. And he didn't go 50 yards. He piled up dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't, there's not too many places where you realize that you're not at the top of the food chain as quick as what you do in Africa. Uh, you're dead right about that. And they're, you know, they're much more aggressive. You take the difference between a mountain lion uh, and a leopard. Mountain lion, a friend of mine and I had dogs in Montana. We used to chase him up a tree and then climb the tree. And if you could touch him, you won. Well, you, they bailed out before you touched him most of the time. But a leopard, you tried that in a leopard and he just, just chew you into pieces so quick you wouldn't know what happened to you. They're way more aggressive, those predators. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, earlier you mentioned the thorns, and it was th this is one of my Afri Africa stories that always cracks me up. Is and and I just hunt a little bit probably slower than what my pH did. You know, we had a really good tracker, and so we'd get on an animal, and they just go. They track this thing, and and they just go. Well, I'm used to still hunting, you know, right North America stuff, and so I'm stopping every once in a while, throwing up the binoculars, looking around because I want to see that animal before it sees me. And so my pH, you, you know, he, I think he got tired of always turning around and I'm standing there with my binoculars up and uh, we're going through the, through the bush after a uh, heart of beast. And so we're, we're going through this bush and he, and I had this thorn and it's a reverse thorn. So the thorns actually stick back away from the end of the branch. And so as you sweep down this branch, they hook you like a fish hook. And so I was well, you know, was, those thorns have the, those thorns have a nickname. Uh, seriously, the nickname for that particular thorn is the wait a bit thorn. You got to wait a bit to get unhooked. Oh, I'm telling you, yeah. So I'm I'm following my the, we got the tracker and the pH and then me. I'm following these guys, and this thing caught me in the side of the face with three of those thorns, and it stopped me. And my pH yeah. turned around, and he had this look on his face like he was annoyed that I wasn't keeping up. And then he realized that that thorn, that apparently it's a wait a bit thorn, had stuck me in the face. And he started laughing so much that he we actually busted that heart of beast out of there. I think he heard us laughing and he took off. So, Well, that could be the first, the first hunt I had in Africa, not in Africa, in Alaska. I'll never forget. I had an Indian guide and we were hunting uh, moose and grizzly. And we're going along, and they're in. The, we're on horseback, and there's these willows that are they're head higher or even higher. I said to Jimmy, was his name, the Indian guide. I said, Jimmy, how many species of uh, willows are there? He says, Well, there's three species. There's them six foot willows, them eight foot willows, and them ten foot willows. Yeah. <laughs> I've never forgotten that to this day. But you know. You can talk about hunting Africa, and obviously I love it, but I've obviously also spent more time in North America hunting, particularly in Montana, once we bought that place. And I told you that I thought uh, my two favorite things to hunt were things that can kill me, because that just sort of evens the odds, but also elk. I mean, I really love hunting elk, and I'm fortunate enough to have that Jack Creek Preserve with big, big elk on it, so... I love that just about as much. I love hearing them bugle. I love that time of the year. I don't, you know, somebody wants to hunt with a rifle, okay, but it's not the same thing as hunting elk in September when they're bugling and getting close enough to shoot them with a bow. It's it's a neat experience, and it's it's that last, you know, sometimes it's that last thirty yards that makes the difference 
for, you know, with the rifle, it's a game over. And with a bow, you know, you, you may be in the game or you may be completely out of the game and, and 30 yard, you know, a difference of 30 yards can make a whole, can change the entire hunt, if you will. Well, you take, you take a look at the Jack Creek Preserve. Now we allow one rifle hunt each year. That's in order to give us some money to do our programs. And we allow two archery hunts each year. The success ratio on the rifle hunts, and we don't let anybody shoot a bull less than a six-point bull. The success ratio on the rifle hunts is real close to 100%. The success ratio on the archery hunts is three times what it is for the state as a whole, but it's still only 30%. So, you know, the odds don't favor you with a bow, but it's a hell of a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, you get the experiences that you just can't get when you're when you're chasing them with the rifle. Because a lot of them would be, you know, if if you get an elk at 80 yards with, with the rifle, it's game over. You know, safety's off and that thing's down. You get an elk at 80 yards with the bow, you're, you know, there's still a lot of decisions to be made. There's still a lot of watching and waiting and, and figuring things out. There's, you know, you, you get 80 yards, you could, you could still have a chance at him or I've been 80 yards and had zero chance whatsoever. It's like, Oh, there's an elk. He's headed out into the flats and there's nothing I can do about it. There's no cover. There's no play. There's, there's nothing. So it's, it's a definitely a different world. Well, and all of us who have bow hunted for any period of time, there's a couple of things you learn that are critical. One is, and this is the case with the Jack Creek Preserve, because I've been there 26 years, no, more than that now. Let me think, 94, yeah, 26 years from now. And you learn the habitat, and you learn the behavior of the critters. Now, they don't do exactly the same thing you hope for every single time, but you increase your odds a lot by knowing the terrain and the habitat and the, and the elk's behavior. Uh, if you came into a place just cold and were doing it all by yourself, I think you cut your odds by way more than half the first time you're there. Once you're there three or four or five times, you know, you begin to pick it up. But th they've got patterns. They truly do. Yeah. Well, John, let me let me talk about this because I want to let our listeners know about an opportunity that you presented to our members. Um, you have taken an opportunity and and done a donation of the Pope and Young Club that is truly one of those unique, one of a kind events, if you will. You know, we we have hunts and we do raffles, you know, pretty much all year long. But you have donated a hunt on the Jack Creek Preserve. But this one goes above that. You have actually donated a hunt on the Jack Creek Preserve during your personally reserved week to hunt with you on your preserve um, for archery for both elk and for mule deer. And so, you know, I want to take this opportunity from everybody just, just to say thank you for a fantastic donation and just I wanted to let people know that this is, you know, there's some things in life you can buy, and this is not one of those. This is the only opportunity that someone would have to come hunt the Jack Creek Preserve with the owner himself. And and so I, I want to thank you for that and, and just talk a little bit about that, if you could, John. Well, let me, uh, I'm pleased to do that. And it is a unique thing. I've never offered it before and I won't ever offer it again. Having said that, 
uh, and you know, and who, who am I? I'm an old guy that wanders around in the woods, but he knows those woods pretty well. If you want to ask somebody, ask Jack Frost, because it's a really good story. Jack Frost came quite a, quite a few years ago now, and he said to me, he said, John, he said, I've shot about everything, but I've never shot a big elk. And I said, Jack, how big an elk? He said, well, 320 or more. I said, well, that shouldn't be too hard if you put the time in and you're in decent shape. we got logging roads, so you don't have to climb 3,000 feet in elevation every morning. But anyway, make a long story short, I said, we saw this elk way the heck down a long ways away in the evening. I said to Jack, we're going to go down there. We're going to go across through this area, down this little ravine, back up. And there's a ridge there. And in the morning, that elk's going to come walking right up that ridge. Well, ask Jack what happened, because it did exactly that. He's a good shot. Shot it at roughly 40 yards and scored 343. Nice. It was only only because I knew the area pretty well. Do I screw up a lot? Darn right. But uh, it's a different kind of hunt. I own a cabin on the preserve, uh, and I have the right because of who I was and putting preserve together. I have the right to hunt it. Uh, one week in archery season, one week in rifle season. When I take I take my bow instead of my gun, then. But in any event, uh, and I can pick the week. And most people they say, well, I want like the third week or the peak of the rut when all the uh, bulls are bugling and the cows. You got herds of twenty or thirty cows, and that is not my preferred week. My preferred week is a week before or two weeks before that, when those big bulls are out gathering cows because then they're easier to call. They move around quite a bit. They're easier to see. And uh, if they got a herd of cows and a young tough guy kind of walks into the bar where he is with his girlfriend, what does he do? He leaves the bar. Well, that's what those big elk do. You can call them all day long to locate them, but don't try to get them away from their ladies because they won't come. But ahead of that, they will. So yeah, Yeah. that that week is a week I keep for myself. And uh, I enjoy guiding. I'll take the, uh, I've done it a bunch now. I'll take the video camera and get as big a kick out of it as the guy will who puts an arrow in it. Nice. Well, it's, it's just. A, we got a cabin. It's kind of a rustic cabin. It's up real high. And the one time I used to put a tent up there and then the bear wrecked my tent one day. So I said, hell with you. I'm going to fix you. We cut a bunch of logs down and built a cabin right in the middle of where the elk are in early in September. Nice. That sounds like a little slice of heaven right there. It's a pretty neat place. You know, not too many people brag about their outhouse, but I'll brag about the outhouse. It's got an outhouse. It's got the best view of any outhouse in the entire world, I suspect. That That's outstanding. <laughs> and you take your binoculars in there, leave the door open, and start looking. Hey, I'll tell you what. That's one of the unsung heroes of an elk camp is, is that outhouse is an important part of the equation, I got to tell you. Yeah, well, it is, but it's it's just a neat it's a neat spot, and there there are a lot of elk, but I, you can go places where you'll see more elk. I don't think you can go many places. Maybe the White Mountain Indian Reservation, where you'll see as many as big as the ones you'll find at Jack Creek. Wow, well, it's a it's a truly unique opportunity, and and once again, I I just want to thank you for for giving us an opportunity to share that with you. It's it's um we're looking we're looking forward to it i know that the uh early raffle has has done real well we just basically started it in the last day or two and and uh 
that we've got extremely limited tickets. So I think people are realizing that and, and getting them early because we will sell this thing out. We've sold out, I think, the last four raffles, and, and we're going to sell this one out as well. So we sure appreciate you doing that for us and, and uh, well, look forward the, the to relationship it. Well, the relationship with Pope and Young goes both ways. You may not know this, but 13, no, 2013, we built what we call an outdoor education center, and our mission is to teach kids. We got a 3D archery course, teach them about the outdoors and about bow hunting and about wilderness survival skills and all that. And we needed a place to have a classroom. Pope and Young kicked in a full 10% of what it cost us to build that place. So the thanks goes both ways. Nice. You know, that's great because people, you know, sometimes people wonder because we say, hey, Pope and Young is out there. It's our job to to promote and protect you know, bow hunting and the passion for bow hunting. And people always want to know, well, what do you, what do you do? And and we've been instrumental. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, we were instrumental with the NASP program, you know, our, know. getting archery into schools. Um, you know, we were one of the uh, first, first groups on board with S3DA. And so it's really nice when people can hear about some of the good things that Pope and Young has done. So uh, that means a lot to us. Well, I mean, not only has Pope and Young, uh, you know, contributed some dollars, but also a lot of volunteers. We've had a, we do a couple of kids' summer camps, and we've had a number of Pope and Young volunteers come and teach them archery, actually flip flip burgers for lunch. And so it, it's a real good relationship. I have a gripe with bow hunters, though, uh, in general, or most of them. Why are you the bow hunter who is not a member of Pope and Young, not a member? You are freeloading on what Pope and Young is doing for you to make your bow hunting life and your kids' life better. Protecting bow hunting is is a big part of the mission of Pope and Young. Why can anybody say, I don't want to be a member? But they do. You know, and John, I think a lot of people, and, and I'll just go back to my own personal experience on this. When, when I started talking to the folks at Pope and Young, you know, um, they asked, well, are you a bow hunter? I was like, yeah, I've bow hunted for 30 years and and we started some discussions about that and i had not really you know as a as a long time bow hunter i did not put any thought into how the bow season had been originally started in in my home state of oregon i was just like well i you know there's, yeah. as long as i've known there's always been a bow season and then all of a sudden when you go through the museum and you realize that you know pope and young was originally started that whole record book program was to prove the validity of using a bow and arrow to take big game in North America. And, you know, the whole club was, was founded and started to get bow hunting all across the country. And even today yeah. we continue to work with, with other play, you know, we worked, uh, Russia just started, just opened bow hunting up um, last year. So, I mean, there's still some fights that we're in out there. But I think a lot of people, John, just take it for granted that, well, there's always been a bow season here. And they don't realize that, you know, years and years ago, somebody had to fight and claw and scratch their way into having that opportunity for us. Well, and you still got to do it. I mean, the rifle hunters are still wanting to be able to hunt during bow season in a lot of places. And, you know, the Pope and Young is the only defense we have about others wanting to intrude into the magic of bow hunting. Yes. 
And it's, I, I think most people, once again, don't realize that we have legislation come across our desk all the time that, that, uh, you know, is, and, and it's nice to be able to look at it from one singleness of purpose. Is this good for bow hunting? Then we're for it. If it's not good for bow right. hunting, then we're not for it, period. And, right. and it's nice when things come across a desk that we can say yes or no, you know, we want to sign on in support of this or, or no, we don't want anything to do with this. So, and, and you're right. We're the ones you know, out we're, there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know how many bow hunters there are in the U S in total, but uh, we've got, I don't know what our number of members is 5,000 or 7,000, somewhere in that order of magnitude. And there are many multiples of that, that are people that bow hunt. Why are not they a member? It doesn't cost hardly anything and they get a huge return over time. Yeah. I don't get it. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, when I'm talking to folks at trade shows, I, I think a lot of people, there's an impression that, oh, well, I, you know, I didn't shoot a, a buck big enough to make the book, so I can't be a member. And, you know, I'm going to throw some kudos out to our board. Our board of directors has recently made some very good decisions to, to, to make our qualifications on membership a lot simpler and be a lot more inclusive for, for the, the general bow hunter out there. You know, um, for a lot of years, we had a, a stipulation where you had to have killed something with a bow to even be a member. And now, I know. you know, we're, we're, we have removed that, you know, cause we want all bow hunters. Hey, maybe you're, you're hunting that trophy buck and, and you're holding off for that one buck. And if you don't get him, you're not going to take one home. And, you know, right. we want that person as a member. Hey, what if you're the guy who shoots a three point every year, just doesn't quite make it. We, you know, we want that guy as a member and, um, you know, we want to be the voice of the bow hunter, you know, in, in the state and across the country in Washington, DC. And, and so we're taking steps to do that. And, and so hopefully people, we get that, that part of our story out. Cause I think we've done a lot. We just haven't, you know, waved our flag and said, Oh, look at us, look what we did because we do, I it, agree. And then, you know, we move on to the next thing and we don't stand around waving our flag. We just say, Oh, we did this. Now we're moving on. And so, you know, one, th one thing we ought to talk about, we talked about the Jack Creek Reserve and the elk hunt and the quality of the elk. We didn't talk about the mule deer. And I'll tell you, uh, average mule deer is, is a nice mule deer. It'll be a four by four, might score 160, somewhere in that range. Perfectly decent mule deer. But there's a handful, and I killed one of them myself, a handful of monsters. Uh, the one I killed scored 208. And he's got, I think he's got 14 points. He's 36 and a half wide. Killed him with wow. my bow. And I've seen one. I haven't seen him in a while, to be all fair about it. I've seen one way bigger than that one, way bigger. I mean, he'll score well over 300. Uh, he's got, I counted the points one time. He's in my backyard, 34 points on it. So there's an occasional one, but it really is occasional. I'd say, you know, if you hunted 10 or 15 times, you might see one of them. Elk are different. There's a lot more of them, but there are yeah. occasional. A real big mule deer too. Yeah, well, and I don't know too many people who wouldn't consider a 200-inch mule deer a big mule deer. That's, well, it's a monster. Yeah. Yes, it is. So just to just to be out there, you know, a lot of places you can go where where I don't care how much time you spend, you don't have a chance to see a 200-inch mule deer. So no, just to don't. be in an area, 
you know, with the potential for that, that's, that's kind of, once again, special, special opportunity. Well, you don't, like I said, you don't see very many. I took a disabled hunter one time and we're driving up one of the logging roads and he starts screaming and cursing and yelling every curse word on the face of the earth and pointing down the hill. I'm on the uphill side. I can't see it. Big deer, big deer and the F word and a bunch of other bad words. And I, I get out and I walk around the back of the truck and here is this absolute monster. Yeah. Um, but the deer then spooked and went off. But there there are an occasional one there. And that guy was so excited. I mean, I don't know if he made himself wet or what, but he was excited. <laughs> so it'll happen. You know, you know that's what I, I just once in my life, I hope to see a mule deer so big that it, I, I wet myself. That's that's my new goal. <laughs> So, well, I don't, give, I don't give any guarantees on that. I give a bit of a guarantee on big elk, but not on big mule deer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I've been around mule deer my whole life. I mean, that was one of the things that every year we got to take a week off of school just to go to deer camp. And so I've been around them my whole life, but I've, I've got some friends who are into these, you know, get into these giant bucks. I've just never been around you know, the, the, that next class of buck. And it's, it's something when you see something that's even remotely close to that, it's, it's a new level of experience. Well, so. no question. And, you know, on the Jack Creek preserve, if you're there elk hunting in September, you better be prepared to hike way up high in the wilderness. Cause that's where those big deer are. Yeah. Um, it's, you can't drive to them on one of our logging roads. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a neat opportunity. You know, John, here's a question, and and I'm really excited to hear your answer because we ask all of our guests, and knowing that you've been you've hunted literally all over the entire world, um, what is one thing, kind of a non traditional item that you have on your hunts with you that maybe not everybody out there has? Is there something that you take along that's a little bit different? Uh, let me think about that. I, I tend to be a guy that travels light. So I might take a rangefinder and I might take a few extra arrows and something with cold water in it, um, something out of the ordinary. No, I think I'm fairly normal kind of traditional guy. There's nothing that jumps off the page and says, hey, you got to take this because I do. Okay. Uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, the thing I'd say is most important most of the time. And everybody does it. Take a good pair of binoculars. And I mean a good pair. I mean a 10 by something. And I don't care if you're hunting in thick cover, you're hunting in open plains. Make sure you, to the extent you're going to spend money, more money than you'd like to on something good, spend it on binos. Yeah. You know, and I think that crosses the line, not just bow hunting or rifle hunting. I, I think just about every hunting pursuit that I know of, um, I know when I'm even when I'm bird hunting, I spend a lot more time on the glass than I do behind the shotgun. And so, oh, yeah. you know, that's one of those things where if you buy the a, a good quality pair of binos, you can have them for decades. Well, so. they're going to cost you a lot of money. But let me tell you, I, I use Swarovski's. Let me tell you, if uh, after 10 or 20 years, they get some dust in and you send them back and they fix them and they send you a new strap and all that kind of stuff and don't even charge you for shipping. So, you know, you buy a cheap pair of binoculars, they might last you two, three, four, five years, but then you got to buy another pair, not with the good quality companies. They'll, they'll fix them and send them back. You know, I have a funny story about, about that. I bought a, 
uh, my first set of Swarovskis, gosh, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And I bought some 10 by 42 SLCs and they are just as they're today still phenomenal glass. And they've used, they've been used pretty hard. They've been all several places in the world and, and a lot of road miles, a lot of hiking miles, and they're still running as, as good as, as can be. And then last year I was at a place and I saw they had a deal on some range finding 10 by 42s. And I, I've always wanted a set of those. And so I picked them up, but now they're, they're like, I still go back to my original ones. Cause I'm just a little bit cautious about, about leaving $3,000 binoculars laying around anywhere. Well, let me tell you, I'll give you a little heads up to anybody who's listening. You don't have to buy them new. I, I yeah. bought two pairs last year of a 10 by 42, whatever the newest uh, Swarovski binocular is. I paid 800 bucks. Why wow. did I pay 800 bucks? Because I went on the internet and I found, I bought two pairs at that price. Yeah. And then everybody's saying to you, well, you know, maybe there's something wrong with them. Well, if there turns out to be something wrong, send them to Swarovski and they fix them. So yeah. you don't have to spend the list brand new list price of three grand or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think most, most hunters would agree that, that having a good piece of glass, you know, and it doesn't have to be Swarovski. I, I like them. No. I, I feel that it's a, for me, it, it's been an investment that pays off. Um, but you know, um, get the best glass you can afford and, and, you know, get yeah. good with it. Spend, spend some time in there. And I carry mine in a truck just driving around my own place here in Colorado. I mean, whether it's, uh, oh, there's a coyote, and I can now look at the coyote, or it's uh, some kind of hawk. I mean, I use them all the time, like you're talking about. I don't just carry them around my neck hunting. Yeah. Yeah, I've pretty much always got a set in my truck, even if I'm not planning on being anywhere near the woods. You yeah. just never know, never know when they're going to come in handy. So, you got it. Yeah. And the other, th the other thing I guess that I always I used to carry, and now my cell phone's good enough, but make sure wherever you're going, honey, you've got a camera with you. Don't rely on the outfitter or the guide or the professional hunter. Make sure you've got something yourself that'll take a decent picture, because sure enough, something's going to go wrong with their camera just when you want it. Yeah. And it's, you know, um, that's one of those things, because when you start looking at, at trophy pictures and taking a good one, it's amazing what just a little subtle change in the, in the, the, the position of, of the head, you know, left to right, just a little subtle, you know, 10 degrees change on the position of the skull left to right can make a difference. Same thing with front and back. And, you know, I, I wound up, I got some good ones in my antelope this year, but some of my favorite pictures, I just didn't have exactly the right, like the background would be exactly what I wanted, but the head tilt wasn't right. Or so yeah, well, that's when you got to make sure you got to make sure you take 20 pictures. It used to be, I'm an old guy. You did it all with film cameras. It was expensive as hell. Now oh, it's yeah. free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's instant because you can look and you can see if you've got them, but it's, I, I would encourage the same thing. Take a bunch of pictures, try several different poses and, and make sure you really get, you know, a guy spends, you know, weeks and months and, and in some cases years to get that tag, to get an opportunity at that animal, you know, make sure that you capitalize when, when you get them and you want that nice, nice trophy photo to have for the rest of your life. It's, um, 
Well, and your friends, you know, they come over to your house and you tell them about your great antelope hunt or whatever the hunt was, and they're interested to listen, but there are even more instances when you show them a picture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Some of my friends, I, I think anymore, I think they cut my the top of my head off in pictures on purpose. <laughs> well, I don't know what the, your head looks like, but yeah. maybe you deserve it, you know? Well, I don't know. Because it's uh, I've, for, for years and years, like, hey, don't cut my head. And they all be darned if they don't all do that. So, <laughs> but... Uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, it's uh, fun to talk about hunting. We could probably talk about different hunts for another couple hours, but then we'd probably bore the listeners. <laughs> you know, I, I never get tired of talking about it or hearing about it. But, but John, I really appreciate you coming on board with us today and, and joining us. Once again, thank you so much for, for your donation for the hunt at the Jack Creek Preserve. And, I, and I, it's actually two hunts because you donated one for the fall for the uh, elk and deer and then another one for a, for a spring bear hunt. So it's actually a, you know, two hunts. Um, yeah, it is. Let me talk to you very quickly about the spring bear hunt. There's quite a lot of bears. Uh, there's quite a lot of color phases. I'd say half of them may be black and another third, maybe chocolate or cinnamon and maybe 10% or so are blonde. That's the good news, and it's all spot and stalk. You get them in the spring and they're out on logging roads eating. The bad news is you're not going to get a real big bear. I mean, a big bear for us would be two, two and a quarter, none of these four or 500-pound bears. So, and you know, an average one is going to be 150 to 200. So don't let anybody think there's monster bears, but let them think there's a lot of color-phased bears, and they're relatively easy to hunt because they're out on the logging roads. You stalk them. Yeah. And that's neat. I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the woods and I just haven't seen, you know, where the area that I'm in, we just, I don't think see, get a lot of color phase bears. It's here. It's pretty much all black. Yeah. That's pretty unusual to get as many color phases we get. I've killed one of, no, I haven't killed a blonde when I'm missing up opportunity of blonde one, but I killed a big chocolate one. I killed a couple of black ones and my granddaughter killed a beautiful cinnamon one a couple of years a couple of years ago nice well once again john um thank you for for donating those hunts it's it's um going to be a great program for us and it's going to give some of our members a wonderful opportunity at some some hunts they can't get anywhere else we always appreciate your support of the club and thank you for taking some time today to uh to join us on our podcast well i look forward to guiding the elk hunting winner Yes, absolutely. And when you do, please make sure we get some pictures and we'll put that in the magazine. No question. All right. John, thank you so much. Have a great day. You as well. Stay away from COVID. <laughs> Will do. <laughs>